Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is, of course, the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. And we've got a jam packed show for you today. We're going to talk uh, about the Tea Party. Um, what happened in 2007, 2008, well, how it changed your nation. And we're going to talk to a person who wrote, co-wrote the book, Ron Paul, The Tea Party Goes to Washington. But before we get to that, I just want to give um, a quick shout out to something that happened last week's show. As you know, I do a lot of research on this show. And last week we did a deep dive into how bad government is in your country. And I made one big mistake. The Dred Scott decision that I actually went in detail with, I said it was a 5-4 decision. It wasn't. It was actually a 6-3 decision, which actually just makes my point even more. Um, so we always leave with our mistakes in the show, even though we do a lot of prep. Um, sometimes mistakes happen, so I apologize for that, but it was not 5-4, it was 6-3. That being said, I want to talk to you today with um, Jack Hunter. He is a freelance journalist. As I say, he co-wrote the book, uh, Tea Party Goes to Washington with Senator Ron Paul. Jack, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So the reason I want to talk to you, the, the reason I brought you on the show is because you released a video which is really interesting and it really frustrates me when I talk to, to Americans about their politics is that literally Donald Trump is the epicenter of politics. And regardless of where you stand on issues, if your opinion, like you could be right about nine, time, nine issues out of ten, but if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person about Donald Trump, whether you love him and, you know, to liberty lovers or whether you say you hate him to other people, it's literally go, you, everyone goes crazy and everything else that you discussed and find common ground on is just dismissed. And you did a great video where you spoke about, um, you know, the Donald Trump and Rand Paul and Justin Amash and their responses to them because of their interactions, both positively and negatively with Donald Trump. Can you tell people what, you, what really led to you to do that video? Sure. I think I titled it the, the Rand Paul Justin Amash TDS test. And TDS stands for Trump Derangement Syndrome. I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with that. And that goes in both directions. People think that's just like, you know, people go crazy and hate Trump. It actually works for people who love Trump, too. And let me be clear about where I'm coming from. I've never been super pro or anti-Trump. I'm super pro-Trump when he does things I agree with. And I'm super anti when he does things I don't like. I think that's a rational way to be in this very irrational political environment we're in where not a lot of people are rational. So um, Trump derangement syndrome, I wanted to sort of demonstrate um, how that affects how people view other figures. So I'm a libertarian conservative. I work with libertarian Republicans within the Republican Party. That's my jam. And I am a fan of Rand Paul, who's my former boss and co-author on his book, of course. And I'm a fan of Justin Amash. Why am I a fan of these people? I like them personally. They're fine people. But more importantly to me than that, 
they are libertarians. They vote for libertarian legislation. They promote things like we shouldn't bomb every country in the world, and maybe we should have civil liberties and due process, and maybe we should have school choice, Second Amendment. I could go down the list. Both of these men essentially vote the same. Justin Amash is no longer in Congress, but he was there for a very long time. And if you look at his record and you look at the record of Rand Paul, I dare you to find daylight between their voting records except on something like impeachment where Justin Amash came down on the Trump's bad side and Rand Paul was generally an ally with Donald Trump. Libertarians mm -hmm. will form their opinion about Justin Amash or Rand Paul based on how they feel about Donald Trump. So if you're a libertarian, you agree with both of these men in principle on most of the issues, but you happen to love Donald Trump, you'll, they'll say, well, what happened to Justin Amash? He was great. Now he sucks. He fell off. You know, he's terrible. It's like, well, actually, he's kind of the same. He just doesn't like your God. You know, he doesn't worship Trump in the way you do. There are people who absolutely despise Trump and they're like, what happened to Rand Paul? That guy used to be great. Now he yeah. sucks. He's terrible. But boy, Justin Amash is the heroic one. He's the only one that's been a true libertarian. No, you just hate Donald Trump so much you can't see straight. And you can't see that these men, besides their opinion of Donald Trump, are the exact same principal person and in the fight for the exact same reasons they were before. That's Trump derangement syndrome. Now, I'm just talking about a niche. I'm just talking about libertarians. I would argue most Americans, most people, maybe even around the world, operate in this way. They like or detest figures or even ideas based on how they feel about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's, but it's, it's so, it's, I think it's bigger than Donald Trump. Donald Trump is easy to focus in because he's the figurehead. But, you know, like, I, I've been very clear on my record. Number one, I'm not, this is not a political show. So I'm not like, hey, Trump is awesome or Trump sucks or even, you know, left or right. I, I, my show is very focused in on some principles. And, like, people will ask me, you know, privately, kind of go, what do you think about Trump? And it's like, they want this answer. You know, oh, Trump was awesome, or he was a great president, or he was a dreadful president. They need to know. No, but also, it's not, it's a more nuanced answer. So, like, I, I'll highlight, kind of go and look, you know, for me, I'm a constitutionalist, right? So, I, I very, and I've said this under Donald Trump, I said this, I've seen this under Biden right now, I said this under Obama, I said this under George Bush. Article 2 has no power. There is literally nothing the president can do. This idea of mirage and myth that the president is the most powerful person in the world, for me, is the exact opposite of what your founders fought a revolution for. And my proof of that always is they ignored Alexander Hamilton at the, the convention for nearly six months because he dare suggest that you have a king. So, but it is, you know, but it's not a simple answer is that it's like, well, he doesn't follow the constitution, the executive orders, he, he, you know, he kind of saw himself as, you know, a big, you know, big leader and, you know, a strong guy. And that's not really what the president's designed to be. But then that doesn't mean I can't say, well, he did some good stuff, you know, the deregulation, you know, he gave a tax cut, I'd love more. I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a, I'm a, I believe in the flat, flat tax or fair tax, but I'll take any tax increase. You know, I'll talk about Neil Gorsuch, you know, different things. It's not a, it's more nuanced, but no, it's a, everything wants to be, you have to be either pro or against. And I think that's so frustrating from a, from a principal point of view, because you never get any, make any inroads. True, and I agree with what you said, and you are correct that the focus should be principle. That's my focus at the end of the day. I have some different ideas from other people who work in this 
orbit, the political orbit about how you get there that maybe are unique mm -hmm. and we can discuss those. But at the end of the day, I do this because I care about the principles. You know, I'm an, I'm an anti-war guy. I think the U.S. does too much around the world militarily to our detriment and the world's detriment. And that's been a big mm -hmm. thing for me. I love that Donald Trump has sort of changed the conversation within the Republican Party about that. I'm not saying he was, a, you know, down the line, non-interventionist or something, but we didn't start any new wars for the first time in umpteen years. And that's, a, that's an accomplishment. It's sad that that's an accomplishment. Um, but that's a big one for me, you know, uh, criminal justice reform, this first step act. I'm with Trump when he's doing things like that. You notice that Senator Rand Paul was right there with him for the first step act. That was things that he was talking about before the Trump phenomenon. That's something libertarians cared about, that our justice system is messed up, due in large part to Joe Biden's 1994 crime bill. We can talk about that, I suppose, too. But I don't mind using Trump emotion and passion for things I like. If Trump mm -hmm. wants to do deregulation, yeah, I'll beat my chest. Trump, MAGA, let's do it. If yeah. we're not going to bomb Iran and it takes Tucker Carlson, who's also anti-war, being in his ear and Rand Paul being in his ear and everybody else in his ear saying bomb Iran, I'm going to mm -hmm. side with Tucker Carlson and, and Rand Paul and say, you know what, President, Mr. President, your campaign rhetoric about Bush making a mistake in Iraq, do you want that too for your legacy? And he doesn't bomb Iran at the last minute for people who remember that. He decided not mm -hmm. to. Yeah, I want to use all those emotions and passions and partisan leanings. But at the same time, I'm not going to be for things that I'm against in principle just because they're on the right side of Trump, if that makes sense. And it's, this sounds sad, but I think that's how we arrive at most of this stuff. Uh, you know, Edward Snowden did a heroic thing in letting the world know that the U.S. federal government was using mass surveillance against er pretty much everyone. They were spying on everybody. If that had come out, it came out in 2013, if that had come out under a Republican president, Snowden would be this big hero to the left for showing what George W. Bush or Donald Trump's government, their NSA, was doing. But because it was Barack Obama... A lot of them consider a hero. Some don't. Lots of Democrats don't like to talk about it. Hillary Clinton, you know, wants him thrown in jail or tried for treason. But the dynamic is different, not because what he revealed was different. Who was president? What party was in power? You see what I'm getting at? I think yeah, that's no, how absolutely. What's that? Uh, no, I, I absolutely agree. You know, if it's you know, it's it's if it happens under if it happens under a left administration or a democratic administration, it tends to blow under the rug. And you know, there's so many examples of this. And and then if it happens under a Republican, it's like front page news, even if it's only half as bad. Um, and, and I think right. that's so frustrating. Um, but the thing for me is, it, it needs to be. You said Edward Snowden's a hero, and I think. I, one of the frustrating things I have with, and this is with every side, and the one thing I always wanted to, I always try and make the point, but I always fail is, is to discuss people. You know, whether you want to talk about Edward Snowden today, or if you want to go back in history and talk about people like Churchill, you know, it's like, well, is Churchill a hero or is he a bad guy? Or is he, you know, is it, you know, is it just simple? Is it Churchill great or Churchill bad? If you read some of Churchill and what he did during World War II, it's very easy to come up with the conclusion Churchill was a hero. Oh my God, what a lie. Then you read Churchill in India and you kind of go, how is this the same guy? It's, this guy is an animal. This guy is, is literally horrific. Like one of the most barbaric people we've, you know, some of the stuff he wrote. 
Um, so it, it's a case of we don't have nuanced debate. It's not it's, It seems to be impossible today to kind of get from a point of whether it's anyone, Edward Snowden, Donald Trump, uh, or, you know, Churchill is, okay, look, this is the good, this is the bad, this is where I'll be his best friend, and this is where I'll be bad, you know, be opposed. But that's okay. We're not enemies. We just have a difference of opinion on principle or how we get there or what the agenda for the country is. And it doesn't mean I have to hate you. That, that's right. And I think, you know, people, intelligent people can have these discussions about complex history and historical figures, but I don't think that's the way most people are wired. And let me just say this before we continue our conversation. I don't sure. want any of this to come off as patronizing. I'm talking about oh, people in love and how human beings operate. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about friends. I'm just talking mm -hmm. about how I'm, in my number of years on this earth, being involved in politics, how I watch other people operate. We all do it and I'm susceptible to it. You are, everybody is. People need good guys and bad guys. Mm -hmm. And bad, the bad guy can do good things and they'll never get recognition for it. The good guy could do or the reverse of that. You see what I'm saying? So a figure like Churchill, we're either in the public perception going to make him a bad guy or a good guy. Did he do some bad things? Yes. Like you said, if you're in India, and that's a different experience. But, you know, in Europe and the United States, he's going to be a good guy because of World War II and all that. And rightfully so. But the, we don't want to know about the other stuff. And I think that's true of most historical figures. Look, my favorite founder is Thomas Jefferson. Am I happy with the fact that he owned slaves? No, I'm not. But, you know, that's history we wrestle with. But he's still a hero to me in the grand scheme of things. And that's bipartisanship, I guess. But I think that's just part of how we're wired. Um, that certainly was true when it came to Donald Trump. You know, for people who don't like him, January 6th was as bad as 9-11, which I think is pretty stupid. Um, yeah. For, for people. That, that's the thing. Like, logic and reason seem to have just, like, left the room there, and especially in yeah. some circles. Like, it's just, it's gone. See it. It's, it's, it's like that pitch got off. That's, that, that pitch ain't coming back. <laughs> you, you can right. moan about it. You can complain about it. it, it that sucker gone, you know? Um, that's and that's exactly the frustrating right. thing. People need good guys and bad guys. You know, I always joke that everything is wrestling. And my, my friends that follow me that watch professional wrestling think that's kind of cool or funny. And people who don't know anything about it, like, are curious about those insights and they'll kind of lay it out. I'll give you another example. Are you familiar with the new freshman congresswoman, Nancy Mace? Yes. Okay. Well, she's Carolina. I'm in South Carolina's first district. She represents my district. I'm a friend of hers from libertarian circles going back a decade. And thank God she's a national office because she ran before and didn't make it. And I'm very excited. But, you know, she worked for Donald Trump and was pretty pro-Trump. And my libertarian friends who don't like Trump were like, well, I know you say she's good, but I don't know about this woman based on Trump. And my pro-Trump friends were like, this is our gal. My pro-Trump libertarian friends were like, yeah, she's great. Nancy's great. So January 6th happened, and she's in the Capitol, and people are chasing people around and chaos. And she has small children, and they're worried that their mom is going to be killed. So as a mom and a normal human being, she has a very visceral reaction against Trump, what she saw as inciting that or having something to do with his supporters and like said some things that were nasty about Trump. So those uh -huh. people before that loved Trump and thought Nancy was so like, oh, she's terrible. She's not even a libertarian anymore. She's awful. And the yeah. never Trump libertarians were like, you know, she's all right. I think she's yeah. that's how this works. It's professional wrestling. Nancy went from being a face or a heel, depending on how you felt about Trump. And she believes exactly the same thing she believed before 
all, all that took place. And I tell people this and they're like, no, I'm principal. I think about ideas. I'm, I'm sure you do. I'm, I'm sure you care about putting food on the table for your kids and where they go to school and all that. I'm not saying you don't, but how you feel about these people shadows, all of that. I'll give you one more example. When Trump was in office, you know, the tariffs might've done some good things, but they did a lot of bad things. And a relative of mine who's in the construction business saw the price of copper go up significantly so much that it was making him not be able to make profits based on how he bid the jobs based on normal prices of copper. Right. <laughs> Still like Trump, even though they were hurt, that person was hurting his bottom line. It was more about the figure than the issue. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's always what people gravitate to, to the most, no matter how smart or how you know principled they think they are. That's, that's where it goes. I'm talking about very intelligent people do this. Absolutely. And if I may use your analogy, the, the frustrating thing for me is, um, if you know, if I can use your analogy of the wrestling, you know, the face and the heel, the good guy and the bad guy, I have no problem. Like, I love professional wrestling. I've been to six WrestleManias. I'd love to go again in the future. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm really blessed, you know, spoiler alert, um, yeah, Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, is on the show next week or the following week. I'm not sure I'm trying to nail it down, which I'm really looking forward <laughs> to. We're going to talk about making politics local. Um, and I'm, I'm really scared because I've actually, like, I've, you know, there's a saying in our industry and it's in life as well. Never meet one of your heroes, but I've like looked, you know, been a big fan of this guy for like 25 years. And, you know, it's, there's always the apprehension because I've met a lot of people I used to like in this industry. And then you meet them, you're like, yeah, I don't like you no more. <laughs> um, but the, the idea of the face and the bad guy is, you know, to use your analogy is one of the things that I, I have no problem getting into politics, you know, get, you know, you love Trump or you hate Trump or, or whatever it is. But, you know, when the wrestling show ends, like when you, when I went to WrestleMania, you went for four hours and I cheered some guys that people loved. And I also cheered guys that other people hated. They're like, why do you like this guy or this girl? I just, I like them. But the thing is, when the show ends, it stops. I go back to being my life. It doesn't dominate. I didn't think about WrestleMania after I left it. I thought about, you know, politics. I thought about, you know, principles. I thought about reading history. The thing it seems that is, to use your analogy, is we don't switch off the wrestling anymore. We're, we're addicted to cable news. We're addicted to the politics. We're addicted to, you know, when Donald Trump was on Twitter, did you see he tweeted this? And oh my God, and oh, I have to set him straight. And this is him bad. And this is him good. And we have to defend him. There's never an off season. It's literally 24-7. And it just dominates everything and we don't ever get to have those discussions can we get to a point where we step back we have our political debates you know whether you want trump or hate trump or libertarian or you know republican or more moderate whatever it is you know the debate but that we step back and we just sort of see each other as people again well i would like to think we can and i think most people who aren't obsessed with this stuff and i think that's a majority um you know they might have an opinion about trump or something but this doesn't rule their life um, those are the healthiest people. I think the people who don't pay attention to this stuff, you know, as politicos were like, well, if you don't pay attention, you stay involved. You know, you're not civic mind. No, care about the football game or what's for dinner or the new movie that's coming out. You're a normal person. Don't get your head all wrapped up with things. You don't have to be on your control. Yeah. But I'll take what you said a step further. The reason I have the beliefs that I have and that anybody should have the political beliefs that they have is because they care about their friends and family first, right? Like, that's just mm -hmm. rational. I, I believe that this, I, this system of governments, governance is best for me and people I care about. When the political stuff becomes so overwhelming, it rules your life. It's your biggest identity that you stop talk, talking to friends and family 
or have negative opinions about them, you've, you're doing it ass backward. It's perverted. It's not the way to do it. But how many people do we know don't speak to their Trump-loving father anymore or vice versa, the, the daughter? I, I have a relative who, if she hears Trump at the Thanksgiving table, has to go in another room for 30 minutes because it burned her ears. And it, it, it don't even have to be something positive about Trump. That's dumb. Like, yeah. that is just ridiculous but how many people are like that and you know busted up friendships family members not talking if you've reached that point there's something wrong with you um yeah. you know we all have this innate thing where we gravitate towards bad guys and good guys but that's just an unhealthy perspective if that's what it comes to i was talking to a friend the other day that i've known for 20 years we never talk about politics and she said to me out of the blue did you vote for Trump? And I can honestly say no, because I voted third party like I almost always do every year. Um, now, I think they're a win. It's just a vote of conscience. And I can honestly say no, but I did get the impression that if I'd said yes, they might have stopped talking to me. And that's, yeah. that's not right. And we see that everywhere. Yeah, and it's so sad. I've, I, I even get asked that question. You know, I'm, not a, I'm not a citizen. I can't vote. But, you know, as when people ask me, you know, you know, how do you vote? I'm like, I'm, not, I'm Irish. I, I wish I was in your country. I wish I could vote. But, you know, it's, that's just not happening right now. And But, like, well, well, if you weren't here, how would you vote? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like saying if I got a million dollars tomorrow, how would I spend it? You know, my answer might be entirely different. But there's people who literally hang on that word, who wanted that reinforcement of their views. Um, and that's so frustrating. Um, but moving on to, I do have one question before we go into the break. Um, because one of the things is that I get frustrated with the discourse is, especially with my friends on the right, is we just blame everything on the left. We just kind of go, oh, the left are so intolerant. The left are, are just, you know, all these, they act a certain way. And I always make the case, it's not the left. It's a human condition. They just happen to maybe be really good at it or maybe prominent in it. But there is an intolerance on all sides. Like, there are people on the right who are not very tolerant. And I'll give you one example, because I'd love to know this. Are you what they call a pure libertarian? What does that even mean? Exactly. Oh, that's stupid. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Everybody's definition of debt is different, and the definition changes. So... <laughs> When, when the Ron Paul movement kicked off, which is when I became a libertarian, I was just sort of like this Pat Buchanan anti-war conservative who moved in a libertarian direction due to Ron Paul's movement and influence, and I ended up working for him as well. But at the time, like the diehards were like anarchists and talking about Alex Jones, let's get out of the left-right paradigm. Like it's wrong we're even in the Republican Party, right? We shouldn't care about left and right. That was kind of the thing. I was like, well, I agree with you in principle, but we're working with these, this Republican named Ron Paul right now. That's his party. We're doing our thing. But I was like seen as too conservative and that's bad. Well, post-Trump, you have all the crazy pro-Trump libertarians are like, Jack's not right wing enough. He doesn't talk about the culture war. We need to do that. So it's like the complete opposite, but it's the same personality type, if you yeah. see what I'm saying. So what was a pure libertarian 10 years ago is different now. It'll be different 10 years from now. So, I mean, who's that idiot in New Hampshire that uh, was chasing down meter maids and for, you know, giving people tickets and then became the crying Nazi later? Like, so he was like an anarchist, was against the state. He, he called himself a libertarian for a while, then became a Nazi. Point is, he was a crazy person. It's a personality no type. No idea who you're talking about, legitimately. Christopher Cantwell, that sad loser, the crying Nazi. It's, it's in the news. It was a couple years ago after Charlottesville. Anyways, okay. point is, he's a, he's a personality type. He's an extremist from one pole yeah. to the other. The, the organizer of the uh, Charlottesville debacle used to be in the Occupy movement. Now he's hanging around yeah. with Nazis. You see what I'm saying? They're personality types. They go to whatever is the popular extreme thing in the moment. And some of those people call themselves pure libertarians at one point. Yeah, it's 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 crazy because like it's so I always find it funny because like 
I, I have no idea. Like, I don't believe in labels because I don't know why you would ever label yourself because it's just, unless it's the Constitution, because th that would be the one label I would use in Christian. But, you know, from a political point of view is I don't get it because, you know, I'm, you know, if you ask people, like, if, probably if you ask people what they think of me, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm too conservative to be libertarian and I'm too libertarian to be conservative. And it's like, why do we have these constant, constant battles of what's pure? And, you know, I, I, I have libertarian friends and it, this idea of not being able to just see, I see different people's point of view. You know, I get people's point of view on Trump, but likewise, my libertarian friends, they uh, they have people who are literally like, like what you're experiencing with Ron Paul, where we have to do it through the GOP. Whether we like it or not, America is dominated by two-party politics. We need to make the Republican Party more libertarian. I have libertarian friends who are like, no, that's like Satan to them. It's like, no, they'll never be liberty lovers. We need to create our own party, give America a third choice. We need it to grow. The Republican Party's dead. And this, get, as I'm sure you've been in more than I have, but this becomes very heated. And I'm like, okay, we just have a difference of opinion, but we can still work together. I think it comes down to what people want to do. And I don't disagree with anything you said. Some people just want to feel good. I think these mm -hmm. things, if you don't think these things, you're not as smart or as moral or as right as me. And look at me over here, and I feel pretty good about myself for believing these things. I don't really care about that. I don't even care. Like, I guess I'm a personality to a degree because I talk about the stuff publicly, but that's not what it's about for me. It's about mm -hmm. how you can be effective. For example, when I worked for Senator Paul and helped with writing things, my name wasn't on that byline, but boy, a lot more people read it because his was. Yeah. Am I more effective doing that or just being little old Jack Hunter? Well, I'm more effective doing that. That's my <laughs> end goal. How can you be the most effective? So forget about the theoreticals. You know, if we had anarchy tomorrow and I'm a pure libertarian and blah, blah, blah. What's happening right now? Well, you have Senator Rand Paul. You have Thomas Massey. You have criminal justice reform as a regular Republican issue. Do the, they do panels on it at CPAC every year. That wasn't true 15 years ago. You have an mm -hmm. environment where you can be. I had a 23-year-old, very talented conservative writer explain this to me the other day. He said, Jack. You're in your 40s. You remember a time when if you were Republican, it meant you were pro-war, no other option. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I never want to get back to that. And that's why I'm, why I'm sensitive mm -hmm. about it. He goes, I do not. He goes, I'm 23 and I'm in an environment where you could be a hawk or you can be anti-war and be a conservative and people don't really flinch at that. That's a different yeah. experience. And yeah, so the realities are, you know, Trump gave us some things like what I just talked about, criminal justice reform. I think as a libertarian conservative, I want to build on that. That doesn't have a damn thing to do with somebody on Twitter questioning my libertarian credentials. I'm a libertarian because I think libertarian solutions are the best solutions in most situations, and I'm not even curious about that. There's exceptions to every rule. No ideological ideology, I can't speak, is perfect because it's made by men who are not perfect and fallen if you want to take the Christian route. But you see what I'm saying? Like, I think libertarian is the best of the bunch, but it's not perfect. Nothing could be. Absolutely. And like, just to finish up on this, I think we should all be open-minded. Like, I've, I'm, I'm a constitutionalist. This is what the whole show is about, is about America's founding documents, that idea of freedom. But was it ever perfect? No. But you know what? It's the best the world has ever seen by a mile. If people come to me as, as a constitution, kind of go, you know, John, I, I don't like certain parts of the constitution. I'm not going to go, oh, well, 
how dare you question the America's founders or even the Declaration of Independence, which I think is is pretty amazing. Like in, for me, it's I'm a Christian, so I think it's the best man-made document ever written. Um, yep. And the reason I say man-made is because I'm a Christian. The Bible, I think, is divinely inspired. But like Thomas Jefferson writing that, it's it's amazing. And the original drafts are so much better as well. But like if you came to me and said, I think it's average and I would have said this, I'd be open to have that discussion with you. I'd probably, honestly, because I've read a lot of history, I'll probably still come down on, the, you know, because I've backed it up over years and years of reading, that it's still the best document man has ever produced. But I'll listen to your argument and I'll, I'll you know, discuss it with you. But they just... We don't ever seem to want to have that discussion anymore. It's like, oh, no, these are sacred. We can't ha ever have this discussion. And it, it, I, it's just so frustrating in, in this environment, in a world where we should be having more discussions. Yes, I agree. And look, I'm working on something now about you can't be conservative without being libertarian to a degree if you live in the United States. Because you know, a conservative mm -hmm. in Russia might long for the old Soviet Union. That's not what we're talking about, right? I'm talking about mm -hmm. I live in the United States. If you're conservative, it means conserving our constitution, the form of mm -hmm. government, the founders, and sort of protecting liberty. I mean, the founders kind of said a lot of what I just said, that like human beings are screwed up. They're prone to do these things, you know, power when it concentrates. So they wanted to avoid that. So they devised a governing charter that would avoid that, avoid that and give people religious liberty and freedom of speech and have the Fourth Amendment, uh, you know, no, uh, you know, well, we have civil asset forfeiture, but you're not supposed to be able to do that. It's in the Constitution. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. I fear greatly, and we can move on in a second, but like my thing today is defending liberalism, and I mean classical liberalism. You mm -hmm. have people on the left who want to get rid of the Electoral College, which means just, you know, New York and L.A. would rule the country, basically, or people mm -hmm. with that temperament, which is what the founders wanted to avoid. They're against mm -hmm. free speech. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I understand that big tech companies are – private and can do what they want. And I support that in principle. But when it becomes something that everybody uses and it looks more like utility and just any conservative speech is censored, I've had that happen to me more than once. That's a problem. And the mm -hmm. people on the left, you know, the ACLU thing was like, we defend Nazis, right? No speech is yeah. we'll defend it. That's not really where a lot of progressives are now. They're like, no, this, these types of speech should be quelled you see the biden administration we're looking for misinformation on facebook according to who crazy the wuhan lab theory was that what two months ago and then we all learned it was true so mm -hmm. that's scary just the idea yeah. that we don't have this liberal attitude i have my opinion you have your opinion we both have the right to that that's going away it's been happening on college campuses for a while and it's spilling out into the rest of the world and or the, the united states i don't like that we need to fight against that Absolutely. And I always say this, and people always laugh when I because I, I do speaking and stuff, and I always say this, the, the right that the founders never spoke about is an unwritten right. You have a God-given right to be an idiot. If you want sure. to say the most idiotic thing in the world, I'm not going to stop you. I might, I might stand there beside you and kind of go, that guy is crazy or girl is crazy, and here's why they're wrong and list the facts, but I'm never going to be the guy that says, no, you can't say that. Even the most repugnant thing I can find, I'll always be the person to go, no, they can say it. And I want you to say, you know, because if you're a business owner and you say something really repugnant, I want to know because I never want to participate in your business ever, ever again. I will drive 10 miles out of town just to avoid you if you're like a racist or an anti So, you know, the usual stuff that gets thrown about. I want, but I don't ever want to shut people up because when, when, where do you draw the line? If you start saying, well, they should, they shouldn't be able to say that. Okay, well then, guess what? An inch is a bit more, and then they can't say that. And then all of a sudden, you want to say something, and like the, you know, like two months ago, hey, this originated in a lab. Oh, you can't say that. That's controversial. That's why you defend free speech. 
Yes, that's right. You know, I could use the example um, just of elites controlling narratives. This happened with Rand Paul just in the last two months. So the first thing he said was, Fauci, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. That's what we all know as normal human beings. Oh, you're wrong, Dr. Paul. Here's my two masks. Literally, like two weeks later, the CDC is like, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear your mask anymore. And Fauci's saying the same thing. Then yeah. after that, Rand brings up the Wuhan lab thing. And Fauci's like, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Everybody bashes Rand online. Two weeks later, we find out. And yesterday, we saw the blow up between Rand Paul and Fauci, where Rand was sort of saying that, that Fauci was behind the funding for the gain-of-function research. Uh-huh. I tweeted out, always bet on Paul, and you're already seeing rumblings. Uh, Josh Rogan who of the Washington Post and CNN has already tweeted, uh, sorry, guys, if it doesn't fit your narrative, but Paul's right here and Fauci's wrong, so we'll see where it goes from there. Absolutely. At least, at least like, he's been leading the voice on this. What's that? He's been the leading voice on that. Like, you know, people, I get a lot of people who don't like Rand Paul and, you know, look, I, I don't get, get big inside. I'll just point the principles out. But can you imagine what your country and your Congress would be like if Rand Paul wasn't there right now? Those like, questions would have been asked. Right. Yeah. It would be the Biden administration and CDC narrative, whatever they want to say. Nobody challenging it, which is our tradition in the United States. You question power. that has to be i think we need to get back to discuss it it's a great point it's about power you know this whole paradigm of it's left versus right it's republicans versus democrats that's not true that's a modern day myth what the real description is is historically every country in the world has been about the collective it's been about government it's been about power it's been about coercion it's been about you know oh you have a choice to opt in to do all these things america is the exact opposite it's about the individual it's about your god-given rights it's about government not telling you what to do but protecting your rights it's not about left or right it's about power versus where you want the power do you want the power in government or do you want the power in the individual and that idea of america of having it in the individual is really revolutionary. And I think we need to get back to that idea and we've needed to get back to it for a while. But if there is one positive to COVID, it's really shown how bad governments are. No, that's that's the nature of governments, why I'm a libertarian, a Jeffersonian, however you want to, to slice that. Um, that's why I'm an advocate of populism. Um, you know, there are different flavors of populism. Trump, one of my favorite things about him, he was a disruptor. Now, did I like everything he stood for? No. Did I like a lot of it? Yeah, I did. But he was a disruptor. He was a challenge to the system. He was a challenge to elites who are used to running everything, defining narratives, as we discussed prior. And I think there needs to be more of that. I'm an advocate of what I like to call libertarian populism. Um, you know, populism, these movements do not arise. I guess this is going to even back to the Tea Party, which is what I think we were going to talk about a little bit. Absolutely. Because they're centered on figures. This goes back to the bad guy, good guy, and how, how people's minds work. The Tea Party moment happened. It started at the end of Bush with the bailouts, but it blossomed during the Barack Obama. He was sort of the villain, and people had people like Ron Paul and Rand Paul and Justin Amash, and that was the leaders, and Sarah Palin and Ted Cruz. And, but they, they rally around these figures, and that's how that movement happened. Movements always need to have a face to happen. The Donald Trump movie ha- ha- move happened movement, I can't talk, happen. Bernie Sanders, would we be talking about socialism seriously in the United States if not for his two presidential runs? I say not. 
I think it needed somebody like him and then AOC followed and people like that. But you have to have a face. You know, the hippie movement in the 60s, Abby Hoffman, however far, far you want to go back. That's how these things work. And Trump has created a movement. And I'm an advocate for taking the libertarian parts of that, then adding other parts and trying to win over those 75 million people that voted for Donald Trump with maybe even a bigger coalition. Um, you know, Ron Paul, as a Republican, got the most youth votes of anybody. You know, those young people, a lot of them, even if they lean right, don't like Trump. It's just a thing. Look at the polling. Well, yeah. how can you do something different? Could Ron DeSantis do it? Could somebody do it where you could build that coalition? But that requires populism. It requires challenging elites and their narratives, which elites don't like. Like Mitt Romney does not like that. Hillary Clinton does not like that. But they're the problem, and that's who we have to fight against. Well, I would, I would slightly disagree with that because I, I'm not a fan of populism because uh, you know, I see, because of living in Ireland and living in Europe, populism you know, has the potential to be really good, but it needs the foundation to be uh, of principles. If you don't have it, populism is really bad because that is what democracy is. It's a version of populism where, guess what? If 50% plus 1% of the population says, hey, guess what? We're entitled to take half your stuff. Well, guess what? We're going to take half your stuff. And that's all populism. So it has to be very careful. But the one thing, just getting just getting going to the Tea Party angle, the one reason I, I have the most inspired I was ever in your nation, apart from reading your founding documents and learning the, about the idea of America and, and been blessed with this opportunity to promote it, was been part of the Tea Party and been part of that movement. Because it's been rewritten about history, where it's about Obama and it was about the left. It started under the right. It started under Bush with TARP and bailouts. So it's standing up to your own side. And it was inspired by Rick Santelli. And I think this has been sort of glossed over in, in, in the rewriting of the Tea Party. Yes, I, I wouldn't disagree with, with any of that. Um, on, on the populist movements, I mean, I think the American Revolution started as a populist movement, correct? You know, with the Tea Party and throwing tea in Boston Harbor and all that kind but of stuff. But how popular was that? So it, it depends. So let's get the definition of when you talk about populism, it's getting a majority. I don't think right. you could ever make the argument in the revolution that anybody who believed in freedom had anywhere near a majority. Sure. Well, I mean, well, so, I guess what I'm getting at, uh, this is the question I ask of anybody, and I agree with you 100% that populism can be good or bad and is often bad. Look, Hitler rose to power because he got people behind him. I mean, that was a populist movement that became mm -hmm. the horror to the world that it was. This is my question. I think we're two people that are principles, share a lot of the same principles. How do you get elites to do what you want, basically? It's not like I'm in the mob, but to do the things you want <laughs> without a pop a populist movement challenging them. Like they only do things you want if they fear for their own seats, you know, mm -hmm. if they think they're going to get kicked out of office or just their life's going to be different or complicated in some way. That's the only time the tea party movement was populist and it gave us the sequester, right? Mm -hmm. Remember yeah. Congress, that was the only legislative accomplishment of the tea party. And that was a great thing. And then people moved on to other things and they brought all that back. But how else do you get something like the sequester without holding their feet to the fire with a populist movement, scaring them? Well, I do believe you should hold people account. So, you know, it, this all depends on the definition of of, um, of populism. And that's why I just said it was, I think it's very clear because we could be talking about two different things um, and the bad thing. But the one thing I would say, just, you know, to answer what your question is, how do you get things done? If you read the founding documents in the Constitution, there's very little to get done at a DC level. That's the, And that's the yeah. thing that you've totally gotten away from. And that's the, you know, government's job is not to do things for you. Government's job, if you believe in the founding principles, is getting the hell out of your way and you do it. 
Right. I, I think the, the answer to what I'm saying is like states defying the federal government, whether I don't care yeah. if it's marijuana, federal marijuana laws, which are stupid mm-hmm. and like run away anyway. You know, it takes uh, maybe Glenn Jacobs, who you're going to have on your program, will be governor of Tennessee one day and we'll do some cool stuff like that. I could easily see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but just on the populism. So what would your definition? Like, do you literally mean 50 percent on the majority or is your aim of? Populism is not a numerical question to me. It's the okay. little guy against the big guy. Jesse Jackson's 1988 presidential run is described as a populist movement. It was populist okay. for black Americans. So populism can mean different things in the principles, but the common thing that makes a populism is the little guy against the big guy. Okay. But if you have a definition of America, if you don't mind, let's just explore that. Because for me, America is the exceptional nation not because of Trump or because of your economy or the other, but because of your ideas. There is no other nation. You literally, you know, change the landscape of how business is done and the way, you know, the role of government and the role of the individual versus the collective. You know, how you have power, you know, everything, every other country is concentrated at the top, but, you know, the top one or a few people, America is concentrated in the states and the individual. If you were to take that analogy, you could make America out to be the top guy and you should be cheering for the smaller guy, maybe like Ireland over America. Does that challenge? What would you say to that? I guess I guess that makes sense. Um, I've never looked at it in that way, but I do think it's the little guy against the big guy. And yes, well, as an anti-war conservative or libertarian, I think being the big guy that we're too bullying sometimes and dropping bombs on people in places that mm-hmm. doesn't help them or us or anybody else. So, yeah, I guess I could see that. I just don't understand how people like us, you know, I, the Constitution needs the, the federal government needs to be put back in its constitutional parameters. I mean, that's part of the fight, which means eliminating a lot of it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many things that are unconstitutional. But how do you get to that without I mean, you know, the Department of Education is not just going to go away because some bureaucrats like, you know what? This isn't in the Constitution. Why do we have this? Jimmy Carter started this. It's not even that new. Reagan wanted to get yeah. rid of you know, No, they're not going to do that. You have to make mm-hmm. them. You have to scare them politically to do that. And, you know, part of the Tea Party, we were, were constitutionalists. And, you know, I see that beautiful don't tread on me flag behind, behind your head. That was part of the imagery. It's the same spirit. But um, I don't know how you do it without raising a little bit of hell. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the question is, and what I'd love for you to sort of go in and put you wrote in your book about your the views on the Tea Party. So the Tea Party goes to Washington. You have that wave election in 2010 um, after Barack Obama won presidency and he had a Democratic House and the Senate, you know, got those good old days. And then, you know, 2010 happens, you have that landslide election. What was the biggest, you know, if you were to sort of summarize the people who are a bit younger and listening who might, you know, fully remember the Tea Party or maybe weren't politically awake, what would you say was the biggest thing about the Tea Party, you know, the biggest lessons? Well, as I said, the biggest accomplishment, like hard accomplishment, was the sequester, literally forcing Congress to cut stuff arbitrarily if they couldn't do it on their own, which they can't, which I just talked about earlier. But more than that, and more importantly than that one thing, because we still have a lot of spending, if you haven't noticed, in Washington, D.C. No. (laughs) No. I I heard a rumor. I saw it on Twitter. Now, maybe Joe Biden, because Joe Biden's bad on misinformation and he doesn't let it. So this has to be true. You're (laughs) running like budget surpluses every year for the last hundred years. Hey, I'm buying Bitcoin for a reason. We'll see what happens with the dollar. (laughs) You and me both, brother. Right, right. But I would say this. So, you know... I was a big Buc- Pat Buchanan guy in 1996. That was the first election I voted in. I voted for Bob Dole because I was 19 and Pat Buchanan told me to, and that was my guy. 
But that was a move. The, the, the Buchanan wing of the party, and it's the reason George W. Bush talked about a humble foreign policy in 2000. He was trying to appeal to those people. That didn't turn out that way, obviously. But that movement was sort of me, the precursor. That was a populist movement within the Republican Party that Pat would call his followers peasants with pitchforks. That preceded sort of the Ron Paul movement. Not that they were the same. He's, you know, a traditionalist Catholic uh staunch conservative, Ron's a libertarian, though there is some crossover on things like foreign policy and other things. Mm -hmm. That led to the Ron Paul movement, which was about 2008, sort of the beginning of the Tea Party. And by 2010, I think it was Rasmussen did a poll, who do you identify with? You're a Tea Party voter. Who do you identify with? It was like 50% Ron Paul and 50% Sarah Palin at the time. These are all figures. People are like, we're done with the Bob Doles and the John McCain's and the Mitt Romney's. We need something real. And that's how that led to Trump eventually. But they could kind of see that even the party establishments and the uh, sort of political apparatus that were like, oh, we're conservative. We're on your side. That a lot of it was just BS. It was talk. They were making money. They were businesses. And then when you had the bailouts, I mean, the banks bailing out these banks that are, you know, people's mortgages. Too big to fail. Right. Too yeah. big to fail. All that. And they're like, well, you know, uh, I'm not too big to fail. I've you know faced bankruptcy. I'm talking about regular people. They saw that the system is rigged. Look, I'm I don't know if you paid attention to any of this AMC stock stuff that's going on right now. Yeah, I have indeed. A little bit on that. I know nothing about the stock market. I'm a complete idiot, but I understand how elites work. And when I saw <laughs> article after article after article come out from major institutions saying. AMC is the worst stock you could buy. It's terrible. Please don't do it. God, it's dumb. Look at all these dumb people buying this thing. And I went on Twitter and they're like, no, nah, do this. This is this is like GameStop. And da, da, da. Who do you think I'm paying attention to? It's Twitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I see this in politics. So I'm like, well, I'm going to yeah. put a little bit into it. I'm waiting and we'll see what happens. But I saw that during GameStop and I didn't and I regretted it. Now, the point yeah. is it relates to politics. Me working in politics and watching elites lie to us over and over and over and people who we're not supposed to listen to, like Rand Paul, being right in the end, I know what that looks like. I think the Tea Party <laughs> movement was the first time in a big way in modern American politics that so many people got it. There were even people who were independents involved with that. It was mostly Republican voters, yes, but a lot of people. Ron, the Ron Paul movement was even a, a more hardcore version of that. You had Democrats and independents and people who were apathetic. One of the slogans was Ron Paul cured my apathy, who just saw in this one guy integrity and truth against the backdrop of people who were lying with them to, to them with power. So where did the Tea Party go wrong in your opinion? I think that like all movements and all people, they needed a bad guy. And at that time, it was the federal government. And that's a great thing to have as your bad guy. I'm trying to get back to that because they are the bad guy. It's actually a legit bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. And then as Obama was in there, a lot of it was focused on him. He was doing the spending, right? He's the one that wanted to bomb Syria, and the whole Tea Party was against that. Even Michelle Bachman was speaking out against that at the time, Tea Party. Then he goes away. That all shifted to Trump. Mm -hmm. They had a hero. And, well, yeah. he's in charge of the federal government now, so... If he's doing stuff, it must be okay. That's true. Thomas Massey said this best. If for those you're familiar with Congressman Thomas Massey, yes, meaning Republican, he said, you know, at the height of the Ron Paul movement, when he was elected to Congress, he kind of came out of that. He'd be the first to say that. I thought people wanted the most libertarian guy to win. He goes, now we're in the Trump area. They just, I realized they just want the crazy son of a bitch in the room. And mm -hmm. he's not wrong. They want the guy who looks like he's sticking it to the man the most. And that just yeah. happened to be Donald Trump. And that's that's what happened. I wouldn't even say that's where the Tea Party went wrong, though. I think the focus was better prior, but that's where it went. And I'm arguing it's not going to stay there forever. It can go in other places. It can even go in other places based on Trump giving his blessing on things at this point. 
So who's talking to Donald Trump right now? I hope it's not Republicans I don't like, and I hope it is some Republicans I do like, because we could go in that direction based on those dynamics, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that the federal government as the boogeyman should always be the focus for liberty lovers. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't get involved in the politics, but like we, I did a big monologue last week just because I was in a bad mood because um, I, I was just so sick of the left. And I was like, you know, because I see them setting you up that, you know, oh, you're anti-government. You know, why would you not distrust your government? You know, how could you say that with Joe Biden and all these things? Like, I went through the whole history of bad things your government has done from Dred Scott, hence why I made the mistake. I had to correct it at the start. Plessy versus Ferguson, Korematsu, yeah. and Battle of Wounded Knee, and Martin Luther King been refused a Second Amendment permit for a gun permit by the FBI. You know, there's, there is a constant theme, you know, whether you look around the world, whether you, you look at Hitler or Stalin or now, or even the coronavirus, or whether you look at historically, the, you know, the bad days in America, they all seem to have this common running theme. Either government is the central player, or in the odd time that it isn't the central player, it's in the wings somewhere playing some type of game. It's government is a constant bad guy. And I think it's absolutely critical that we make that uh, that point over and over and over again, that where does your trust lie? Does it lie in government or does it lie in the individual? That's absolutely right. And I have to say that part of my transformation from just maybe a conventional conservative to a libertarian conservative was due to Ron Paul. And it's something you just said. He made me realize that the problem wasn't immigrants or this group. It, we don't need to pit people who don't have a lot of power against each other. It's the mm -hmm. government screwing things up. It's cronyism, mm -hmm. which is the government, you know, in cahoots with big business. Those people are the enemy. Don't hate on somebody. Like my least favorite thing about the Trump era is how we talk about immigrants now. It wasn't great before, but it's still pretty bad. So some poor person who's desperate to flee their country because they can't feed their kids or running from some drug cartel or whatever's going on in their life that's a lot worse than mine comes in our country illegally, which they shouldn't be able to do. We need secure borders. I'm not an open border libertarian, but I mm -hmm. should hate that guy more than I do the federal government. No, yeah. you see what I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. The demagoguery and all that kind of stuff. Ron Paul taught me just through being himself. Government's the bad guy. The government's the bad guy. Not this person over here. You disagree with Not this person who might've done something like break into the country illegally. There's a reason all this is happening and government's at the center of it. And that's true. Absolutely. And I would emphasize that point even more. As someone who has spent 17 years to try and get into your country, um, it is very hard to get there legally. Or to get there legally. I had a job offer from Glenn Beck and to go there to go work for him. Couldn't get it because I don't have an I don't have it. I have a defense diploma, but I don't have a degree. I don't, you know, I don't ever, I get frustrated when they, they get called dreamers and all this, you know, the, the typical stuff, oh, they acted out of love and all this stuff. I get frustrated when I hear that rhetoric, but I don't believe in the whole, let's just slam them. And they've kind of, in some way, you can make an argument, they've taken something from me because the more legals that are there, you know, the, the it harder, it might potentially less likely I would ever get there. But like, I don't blame them for fleeing their country. I think they should do it legally, but the process should be changed. But the yes. problem is the government process. It's really hard to get there legally. And if you're in a situation where you're struggling and, you know, you're in a really bad you know, place like Cuba, um, you should, you know, if you can't get there legally and the system isn't easy to get there legally, what do you think you're going to do? Just accept it? Or are you going to try and do things illegally? Look, you're not only you right, a friend of mine from the UK said this to me within the last year or two. I think he finally got his American citizenship after trying for a decade plus, like everybody else. He goes, mm -hmm. I'm a white dude that makes six figures, and this is how long it took me to get in your country as a citizen. 
How long do you mm-hmm. think it takes somebody with nothing, mm-hmm. you know, a minority yeah. with nothing? And so our system, <laughs> if I was a poor guy at the Southern border, I had two screaming kids and a wife and no job and people were trying to kill me or whatever's going on. I'm coming into America illegally. If the options are to stay in that situation or not, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not saying that's right or that I support that kind of illegality, but I think we do our fellow human beings a disservice when we don't see the moral complexity of that all around. Absolutely. And like we just, we started at the show is like, it's a nuanced answer, you know, and like, I always get this, how can you say this? You know what I, cause I will, you know, I would sort of give the other side of it. Like, how can you say this? They're, they're hurting you. They're taking something away from you. And I go, yeah, but I can understand why they do it. You know, desperate people will do this desperate things. You know, you can't expect someone who is in a desperate situation to, to act morally and righteously, or maybe they're just acting because they need money. I'm acting because I love the country and because I won't break your laws. But like, you know, expecting everyone to live by my standards, even if my standards are 100 percent right, it's not realistic. You know, we're individuals at the end of the day and people will act differently. And I, I celebrate that. I think it's something that we need to get back to. I absolutely agree with you. Look, I, we talked earlier about populism and using the, what Trump did to expand it in different ways. His Hispanic vote went up 45 percent in 2020 from what it was in 2016. I did a mm-hmm. long piece for the American conservative about libertarian populism. I spent three months looking into the data and stories. And the primary things were for, for a lot of the Hispanic community, they're very business minded, like they want to do hard work and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of have that old Protestant work ethic. They associate that with America and they associated that with Trump more than they did Joe Biden and the Democrats. It's that. And also the woke left that pretends to speak for people like them and minorities, they don't like those people. They're like, who's this crazy white kid with a black mask on throwing stuff through windows in my neighborhood? It was those components that made them say, I want Donald Trump to be president. How do we expand on that by also adding, we have to have secure borders, but we've got a problem for both sides here. How can we fix it? Imagine how much more Republicans could do with the Hispanic vote with that kind of message, if you see what I'm saying. So there's Um, all these things in play. Just people have to do them and be intentional about them and talk about them like we are here today. Absolutely. We've just taken one last break, but I want to talk to you for the last few minutes I have you. I want to talk to you about solutions going forward because I'm getting really frustrated with all my colleagues, you know, even colleagues I work with. You know, the lack of solutions just it's it seems just we just want to complain. We want to get angry. We want to just highlight all the bad things Biden does, but there doesn't seem to be any solutions. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about solutions and maybe getting a new tea party or a new branding going forward. really good point there and it's one of my frustrations especially you know just breaking down i hate breaking down society by race and by different things but let's just take the cuban um, issue because it's really in the news right now those people those brave people are protesting their government it's not over lack of uh, medication it's not over lack of access to vaccines it's because they're really annoyed with big government one of the things that really annoys me especially my friends on the right is if you take and i know this is going to sound very egotistical if you take the way I view America, the idea of individual liberty, the idea of you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness, as Thomas Jefferson wrote, the idea of this, the idea of America, where we just leave you the hell alone, you know, the Emma Lazarus poem, where she slammed your, 
Give me your tired, your weak, and your huddled masses. You know, all those people you Europeans say can't make it because they don't come from the right background or they don't have the right race or the right education or the right, you know, family status. All those people you say are just the lumping proletariat, the, the people who will never make it. Give them me to me. I'll give them opportunity and set them free and let them sort of, you know, cast their own net. This is a message that should make every Cuban or 95% of Cubans who fled Castro voting Republican or Libertarian. Why don't we ever get this message out? That's a great message, and you're absolutely right. I sort of made the quip, and I don't think I'm original on this, on social the other day, that we should probably deport some of these, like, people who want to get rid of the Electoral College, don't support free speech, and are for critical race theory. These people on the left who really hate America at the end of the day, let's deport them and let's bring in as many Cuban refugees as we can, because you know who loves America more than anything? Those people. They're always mm -hmm. the most patriotic. It's what you just said. They, uh, you know, uh, Daniel, what's Daniel's name? He's, but he's from Venezuela, a young libertarian. Daniel DiMartino. Daniel DiMartino, good guy, uh, talented mm -hmm. guy. He talks all the time about living in Venezuela and what that was like, and he fled as a, as a child or whatever, but like, no, AOC, we don't want to go back to that in this country. We need to talk about that loud and proud. He's been on, you know, The Blaze and, and Fox and different things, those platforms. The more people like that, the better. That needs to be a more central message than just complaining about the other side all the time, and I think people outside of just left and right will be attracted to that. It's a positive message, and it's just like overwhelmingly true, right? Like mm -hmm. any time that communism or socialism has been tried, and don't tell me that Denmark is what o AOC is talking about. We're seeing it in Cuba right now. Uh, Rand Paul wrote a wonderful book exploding all those myths about that part of the world and whether that's mm -hmm. actually socialism or not. But showing these people suffering in Cuba, they're in the streets because they're tired of the authoritarian regime. Not for I'm sure they have a lack of supplies because of the chaos and communism doesn't do a very good job. And it's been like that for a very long time, but they're in the streets because they want their freedom. Mm -hmm. But I even think that because of coronavirus, and I want to be crystal clear because every time I say this, everyone always misconstrues what I say. Coronavirus is a really bad thing. I despise what it has done to our economy. The amount of people who, you know, I, I, I used to be suicidal and I, I suffer with depression. The impact on mental health, we are going to be writing about it five years from now, and it is not going to be a pretty picture. The economy, the economic disasters, it's not going to be a pretty picture. But the one little positive that we have is it's shown what people like me have been saying for the longest time. Is places like Europe, it's great talking about Cuba and Venezuela. They should be spoken about as a really bad country. But other countries like Ireland, when I say Ireland is a socialist country, it is not a good place to live in. It does not understand freedom. People go, ah, but the Irish love freedom. Let me explain something to you. I got a letter from my government this week. It's not been called a vaccine passport. Actually, let me give you the wording of it. It's called an EU digital COVID certificate. And in Ireland right now, if I want to eat inside a restaurant, I got to produce this. Oh, it's not a vaccine passport, though. No, no, no. no. Oh, no, they're, they're, that's, that's a big violation of your civil liberties. No, we'll call it an EU digital COVID certificate. This is Ireland. We have such a big, mass, massive opportunity to talk about all these countries and look at the coronavirus response, what the governments did and talk about the idea of America. If you want to talk about freedom, there is never a better opportunity than right here, right now. Anytime there's a state of emergency and people are scared, government uses that to take more power. And every mm -hmm. time they say it's for purposes that most reasonable people be like, yeah, well, that this bad thing just happened. We probably need this. 
those purposes are not what it's used for in the end. The debate over Social Security in my country, the debate was people saying we need to issue Social Security numbers and the other side saying one day that's going to be used as like identification. And the proponents mm -hmm. of Social Security said that will never happen. That's ridiculous. Well, in the United States, that's used as most people's identification commonly. This has happened time and time and time again when the Patriot Act was enacted after 9-11. What did they say? Well, we got to track these terrorists. We need these heightened surveillance powers and monitoring. Today, the Patriot Act, 99% of the time is used to bust drug dealers. It's not mm -hmm. used for Al-Qaeda or anything like that. So the passport you're talking about, whatever it's used for today in the very near future will be used for all sorts of things that are intrusions into the private lives of people who live where you live. Now, those of us who observe government and how it acts and what it does long enough, we'll get that, but I don't think that's most people. So good luck with that. But I hope what I just said kind of gave an example of where that's headed. Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt. Of, I know exactly where it's headed. I can see the, the, the spotlight and it's going to happen in your nation. I can see it happening in your nation before it happens in our nation. And because I heard rumblings this week, but you know, where they're going to start putting pressure on kids to get vaccinated. And if you don't vaccinate your kids, well, you know what? I think that's child abuse and we need to, to take your kids off. you. This does not end well, but getting back to the solutions, I'm probably talking to the wrong person, but you have the right message. If you believe, and I don't care whether you're a Donald Trump supporter, a libertarian, a pure libertarian, a conservative, the, if you believe in any aspect of liberty, we may agree 50% of the time or 100% of the time, the idea of liberty is the solution. How do we get to a point where we start actually talking about liberty again? Because we have the winning message, but we don't seem to use it. I don't think we use it effectively. Look, I think the way you actually get results and are effective and you have solutions. Well, somebody has to come up with them for one, but it's the political wins. You know, if Donald Trump is popular enough to get everybody on the right to think A, B or C and those A, B or C things are liberty, right? Different examples. That's what Republicans are going to do. And maybe they need to win some elections and implement those things. It works both ways. It works for the left or right. I know that sounds kind of simple, but I really think that that is what it comes down to as well. You know, and I'm not saying intellectually people don't believe in these ideas. I always bring up mine. And a less intervention is foreign policy and criminal justice reform. Well, there's more room to do that in the Republican Party now because of what's happened over the last four or five years. You know, Rand Paul and Mike Lee were screaming about criminal justice reform before Trump, but a lot of Republicans just weren't paying attention. More were because of Rand and his dad. But until Trump came along and said this first step act looks like a good thing and wrapped his arms around that issue, now it's a thing, right? So how do we build upon that progress? What else can Trump do? Where's the second step act? Even if he's not in office, can we write that up? And some yeah. Republican can run on that? You know, you see what I'm getting at. But it's using mm -hmm. the political passions of the day where people already are, not some theor theoretical discussion about who's a pure libertarian. I'm talking about what's happening on the ground right now. How can we use it to our advantage? And from my perspective, I'm going to write a column, I'm going to make a video, and I'm going to talk about these things, and maybe, you know, a libertarian tweets it, and it comes, he sees it, I, I don't know. These things are organic, but that's what I can do in my capacity. If you're not somebody who's out there and out front and a writer or a pundit, maybe you donate to somebody or an organization that does that. But I think that's how we get there, not just saying the other side sucks and not just talking to sort of impress ourselves about who we are. It's, too.
I agree, and, and that's you know speaking about you know I, I know you'll appreciate it because you're a big Je- you you call yourself a Jeffersonian, but that is the beauty of the Declaration of Independence. We did a special on this a couple of weeks ago for Independence Day. Was the the most striking thing for me about your Declaration of Independence is the layout of it. It's it's telling you what you're for, then what you're against. Like you know they had major issues if you get, if you read any aspect of your history that Jefferson could have wrote all day and spoke. He could still be speaking today about his issues with the king because you went through so much hassle. But, you know, at the start of the document, he slayed out what he is for. And I think that is so unique and refreshing and we need to get back to that. But I would just say, um, just, you know, because you, I asked you what the solutions are and you kind of went to the politics. Uh, I believe in, I'm, you know, I'm guessing you know who Margaret Thatcher is, right? Yes. Well, one of her great sayings, and I, I firmly believe it's true, and it's one of the things I'm working on behind the scenes, is she had a great saying. First you win the argument, then you win the election. How do we win the argument? Because for me, until we get to a point of, and just take the issue, whether it's criminal justice reform and the second step act or or the third step act, whatever it is, or whether it's anti-war or it's no tariffs, if it's free markets, take the issue. How do we actually do a message that actually wins and, and resonates with people in an inspiring way? and that we can start changing things and getting America back towards a more constitutional way of government? Would it, or does it all automatically always go to, we have got to win elections? Well, I, I kind of, let me say two things. There is a such a thing as winning the argument than winning the election, but I don't think that's usually the way it plays out. Um, as far as the message, when people are touched the most, like COVID, you know, businesses, mm-hmm. you, and you say, you know, government is not your friend, and it's inhibiting your liberties, it's bad. That resonates with people more when they can't go to work and they can't live a normal life and their kids can't eat. And you see what I'm saying? Then just like a regular Tuesday when there's no COVID. So you yes. want to use those opportunities to make your arguments. And But my argument is it's going to center on a person. There's a lot of people excited about not only Donald Trump, but Ron DeSantis on the American right right now. Why? Because they need somebody to embody. What is Ron DeSantis? He's the guy that during COVID... He didn't shut down anything. He never did that. And he came out just as bad, just as good, if not any other state that had major lockdowns. And then he's a symbol for that, right? So the mm-hmm. argument is give us our liberty. Don't listen to these government mandates. That's the art. That's the, the message, which is what we're talking about. But it's embodied. I think, you're, I think you're quoting Patrick Henry there, right? Give me liberty or give me death unless coronavirus, yeah. then take my liberty. Yes, that's right. <laughs> my point would be once you have the figure, then you can bring up things that these people never thought of. Most Republicans, I know I sound like a broken record, never thought, gee, there's a lot of poor minorities in jail because of our draconian mandatory minimum sentencing laws. Like, no conservative ever said that, like, 12 years ago. Like, But now it's a thing, and people who were in jail are no longer in jail thanks to legislation that Trump signed, and it's a conservative issue. They discuss it at CPAC every year. That's just one. Can we do more with that, and can we do it again with something else? And I know that sounds weird, but that really is my philosophy. I think it's easier to do that than to just have a sort of a broad message. Look, I used to speak, well, I still do speak at many libertarian conferences. I explain it this way. How many people in here want to audit or end the Fed? Loud applause. Yeah, we want to do that. All right, I'm going to have an event about auditing and ending the Federal Reserve. All right, let's do that. Well, I have more people out at it if I just have that that's the title or if I have that event and the guest speaker is Judge Andrew Napolitano. What's the answer there? You're going to have more people with Andrew DePolitano. Why? Because people gravitate the figures. They need a figure to embody what they believe. And that's not to diminish the belief, but it's just how people are wired. There needs to be a main event, a top band. Okay, so 
this might, you know, kind of, I know we're, you know, we're kind of up against time and I don't want to keep you too much longer. But so one of the things that going back to the Tea Party, so the Tea Party had success. You know, it had Rand Paul, it had Ron Paul, it had Ted Cruz, it had Mike Lee, it had Matt Bevan, it had Dave Bratt, it had Jim Bridenstine. You know, these are all different levels. People have different opinions just to the match, Thomas Massey. The problem that we seem to have come into a point of view is anytime I, I don't follow your politics as closely as I do because I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of research on your history and trying to present an argument because I'm doing a speaking tour later there this year on Opus Come Over September and do a lot of speaking at you know, Republican and Libertarian events to try and talk about your idea. But one of the things when I talk to a few people about politics is I'm like, what's going on in D.C.? What, what's happening? They'll talk about this bill and this bill and this bill or we need to oppose this. I'm like, oh, that's great. I agree with that. Who's fighting it? It's always the same names. There doesn't seem to be any newbies. Now, Nancy Mace is a newbie this year, but going for the last four years, there wasn't any newbies. If the message is, or your solution is more political, what happened in 2016 or 2014 when it stopped? And how can we re-energize that again? I think you have to have more figures. An often overlooked one is Amash's replacement, Peter Meyer. Now, he doesn't even call himself a libertarian, but he is a combat veteran. He's a young guy. Um, he has the same anti-war message that Justin Amash had, and okay. Justin Amash is in his butt. he's great on civil liberties. I think the guy's a libertarian. I'm trying to figure out where I disagree with him, but okay. he's another person. People don't know him. Nancy's just becoming known. She's been pretty yeah. high profile right out of the gate. I think there needs to be more people like that. Now, how many? I don't know. There's not an equation, but that's important, and it's not just people like that. You're going to have Glenn Jacobs on. Now, Glenn Jacobs is an international, global WWE legend, right? He's a pro wrestling mm-hmm. star, but he's also a staunch libertarian. If I'm being honest, he's more libertarian than I am. He's my friend, but mm-hmm. uh, he's a p- figure that people know and don't think that him being Kane didn't have a little bit to do with him winning that election. He'd tell you the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the citizens there call him Mayor Kane. So, <laughs> but my point is, he's a guy that people know. Maybe he runs for governor one day. I don't know. We've never had that discussion. But in that governor. Uh, you know, President Biden or whoever it is says we're going to do something stupid. He's like, no, you're not. Nope. Yeah. Doing that ninth and tenth amendment, and he becomes a flashpoint. That's how that works, and it's fa- it's focused on Glenn Jacobs. And man, I don't like Biden and what the federal government's doing. The federal government's bad, but I like what the states do. And stick stand up for your freedom. It's things like that. I I always tell people, do you remember Rand's filibuster in 2013 against John Brennan? Yes. So that was against the idea of drone strikes, that specifically, and what we do militarily, and surveillance and all that stuff. But he was protesting John Brennan because of his positions on that. That blew up. Remember, he was on what, like David Letterman and Rush Limbaugh yeah. and him on his show. It was huge. And they sh- I, I worked in his office at the time. Code Pink showed up with a big heart. We love you, Rand, because those are their issues too, right? Dave Weigel, now at the Washington Post, I think he was a slate at the time, wrote an article how Rand Paul had swung public opinion in his direction a full 50% on an issue that the day before for most people wasn't even an issue. Why? He was a libertarian figure, a flashpoint with a national platform with the entire world paying attention, and it just worked out that way. He didn't even wear his most comfortable shoes that day. He had no idea. On the floor for however many hours. I know I was in the office at 2 or 3 a.m. that night. But you see what I'm saying? Those things happen. And there was his... Father's movement in place to sort of capitalize on that a little bit. You know, I think we need to organize. We need to have institutions that when these things happen, we can capitalize on them and hopefully put things in place where maybe they're more likely to happen. So there's a lot of answers, but to me, it always figures on how to capture people's passions, where they are and where we can take them. 
absolutely. And last question, if you don't mind, you're not rushing out of time, right? Can I ask you one last question? Sure. Perfect. So one of the questions, and I, the reason I'm having Glenn Jacobs on is because I, I, I've known him for a while. You know, I say I'm a big fan about, you know, from him being in WWE. Yes, I'm a wrestling fan. Yes, I know it's predetermined. And yes, quote unquote. What? Fake. It's predetermined? But, I know, right? <laughs> I know. I, I always love this because a friend of mine was like, when I told her, and um, he's coming on, I was like, you know, you, you're going to ask him, is it fake? And I'm like, I tell you what, I'll get him to choke on you through a table, then you can tell me how fake it is. But um, <laughs> I always um, say, imagine me going to a Marvel movie, and I'm like, nobody can do that. How do I you know, do right? that? Like, I'd be the biggest jerk in the world, right? So that's I what know. the sound like to me. I, I know exactly, you know, and like John Wayne wasn't actually an action hero, and, and you know, Superman isn't real, but it's it's just it's the story, and it's it's the it's, it's the excitement, and and I, very few people get why I like one of the reasons I like wrestling. But you, for the speaker, you'll get this: the pop of the crowd, you know, with, uh, you know, the just that adrenaline rush. I don't think you can replicate that. That you know, obviously, I don't have a you know twenty thousand people cheering my name, and you know, or. You know, let's go see or Cena sucks or Kane or whatever. Like when I go speak, but like you know, that applause when they introduce you of 30, 40, 100 people, you know, applauding your name or when you talk about something and you make a really good point. That adrenaline rush is is better than any drug, and um, it's just incredible. But the reason I'm having him on is because he speaks so highly of you know like things like the internet sales tax. He was a leader on COVID, but he talks about you know all he wants to talk about is Knoxville, uh, Knox County, Tennessee. You know, one of the things that I believe if I was over there, you know, if I was there, what would I be doing different? I'd be getting involved in these local races because America, the beauty of it is a federalist system. The idea of that government should be very limited, but where there is a clear and defined need, it should be as close to the people as possible. That is also a biblical principle of I will make you leaders of millions of tens of hundreds and thousands. You need to get this shift from D.C., all the way back to your state. So that's when Biden says something really bad or or the next Republican and you don't like it, your state stands up like a Rick DeSantis or a Glenn Jacobs or like Governor Abbott did, you know, when, uh, when Obama was in power and, you know, suing the federal government. How do we get politics local again? Well, you're absolutely right. And I can tell you that Glenn Jacobs, I'm not speaking for him, but I'm not speaking out of school. And I say his whole world is Knox County. That's where his wife's from. He went there for Smoky Mountain Wrestling for Jim Cornette in the 90s. And that's part of why he met her and lives there. And he's a big believer in that. You know, what could he do as a libertarian leaning Republican mayor? And I think he's, he's done a lot of good things and he's a popular mayor. And the grand scheme of things, I think you're absolutely right. My friends at Young Americans for Liberty have been doing this Operation Win at the Door for a while. Yeah, we had Eric Brakey on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Eric's a good friend. He's a great guy. But like, look at what they're doing. They're taking, taking state races, which are a lot easier to win than, you know, running for House or the U.S. Senate. And they're finding Liberty candidates. They make them feel their, what I looked at is a very tough threshold to be one of their Liberty candidates. And a lot of people are not accepted. And they send kids out to campaign for them and door knock. And I don't know how many have won now, 700 or 1,000 or something. I don't know. It's a lot. But how many of those people will run for federal office? And earlier we were talking about personalities. You're building an army, like, and they're doing that at the local level. So they're doing something local that might go national, and that could be effective, and they could be effective also at the local level. Nancy Mace, when she was a state representative in South Carolina, one of her major achievements is pregnant women who are in prison are no longer handcuffed when they're giving birth. And it sounds kind of barbaric that ever happened to begin with, right? But that was legislation that she got every Republican and Democrat to sign on. But because she's a libertarian, she thought to do that, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. 
And so that's illegal in my state now, thanks to my friend, Nancy Mace, who's a libertarian and thought to do it. There's no reason that other people who believe in liberty or conservative or wherever you're coming from can't do that anywhere. And now she's doing it at the federal level. So all sorts of different versions of what I just said are things that I think work towards solutions and messaging and all that. It's one big jumbled up, uh, beautiful mess often. Absolutely. And there's great opportunities out there because I, 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 sh I always share the story. It really frightened me. It really eye-opened me. I was in Oklahoma and giving a speech at a 9-12 group. And I always hang around afterwards because I love meeting people. And it's kind of like, I, I, it's not me just talking to you as this outsider talking to you about why America's great. I want to hear about what you're feeling on the ground. And, I, you know, I go from state to state. So you get to hear different issues. It's not just all generic, the same things. It's different. And I, I love hearing people. But I met this lovely lady. She was married. I think she had two or three kids. And she was in her 30s. And she was really articulate and stuff. And she told me this really frightening story where she ran for school board. This is prior to CRT. And she was like, I wasn't liking the way the school was teaching my kids and I wanted to get involved. And I was like, so what did you do? Uh, and basically she told me she's in this district that when the Senate, you know, the, the U.S. Senate is race is running, 700,000 people vote. She won her election with 125 votes. Wow. You want to, you, that is, and that's, that's a high number I've been told. You, you want to start changing your school boards, your local elections get involved you can make major change i don't know when you're going to end up in dc one day but there's you know with is as many bad things there are anytime there's a badness there's always an opportunity to flip it good and with that few turnout you can make major differences you can make a big difference at the local level because it's just that's the government that touches people most is but you know as bad as the irs is and all these other things that's what's going to affect you the most and it's where it's easiest to get in and be effective there are less obstacles to overcome if that makes any sense um so, yeah. yeah, I agree with Absolutely. you. So last question. How up to, you know, I see a lot of my friends on the right and I get really frustrated right now. They're really down on America. They're, they're oh my God, Biden's president is over. And, you know, he's going to fund that. He's going to finish Obama's job and fundamentally transform. I'm of the opposite opinion. I think bad times are coming, but you have all the solutions. If we start working, we can turn it around. So I'm more on the, the optimistic side. What side of the coin do you fall under? Or what, how do you see America's future going? Well, I'm definitely optimistic. I love my country. I realize every day that, you know, and I'm, I am a chauvinist about it, uh, that I was lucky enough to be born in one of the greatest countries in human history. I really believe that. We're not perfect. And, you know, I talk about our imperfections and brought up criminal justice reform in this conversation, how many times that some people have called mm -hmm. the new Jim Crow. And I don't think they're wrong about that. But if you're talking about a beacon of freedom and liberty, America is unique in history and still is. It doesn't matter that Joe Biden might be president for four or eight years. It matters that they're spending as much money as they are but i think the last guy just did that too and you know math will catch up with you we can have our opinions but math is math and uh yeah spending is bad and we'll see what happens that's why we're buying bitcoin right so yeah absolutely i'm optimistic who's to say that the dollar doesn't collapse and we're all using bitcoin the federal government can't have anything to do with it it's the most libertarian economy and thing ever right like that could happen <laughs> you know you just I think we should make a disclaimer right now. We're recording this Wednesday night. Bitcoin's going up today. It's not because of Elon Musk wearing a t-shirt. It's because of this conversation. We've name-dropped Bitcoin about four times. We can't predict the future. Look, post Ron Paul 2008 and 2012, the wins were at people like mine's back. We're like, well, now his son's a senator. He's going to run for president. And he's a little bit different in his dad and how he messages, though they believe pretty much exactly the same thing. And can we make this bigger? Well, Trump came along because Jeb Bush wanted to do that, Marco Rubio too, and Jeb Bush, uh, excuse me, Donald Trump came along and bulldozed everybody. And guess what? Something else happened that nobody could have predicted. 
when Trump entered the race, I'm like, nobody's, he can't win the primary. And boy, was I wrong. What else is going to happen that nobody can predict and nobody can see? And it could be stuff like crypto. It could be anything. We don't know. The most we can do is know where we're at in this instance and try to push forward for the things we believe in and the ways that we think are most effective. And I know a lot of people listening might not agree with my personal philosophy about figures embodying ideas and how integral they are to moving forward, but that's okay. They can do it in their own way. We can all do it in our own way. And that's all you can do. And guess what? Something that none of us could have predicted is going to happen anyway. Absolutely. And, you know, if you want to take one positive message from the last two presidents, at different times, you would have been laughed out of the arena if you said they were going to be the next president. You know, Donald Trump, if when he was walking down the, that, or not walking down, going down that elevator, you said that's the, he's going to win in 2016, you would have been laughed at. Likewise, Joe Biden, if you said he was going to win prior to, I think it was South Carolina, you would have been not a chance. He's dead in the water. He's, his campaign is crap. He's an expert. You, you, there may be other reasons because of it, but it just shows you, you know, not, not everything is in your control and people, the, you know, things can change and they can change for the better if you work hard enough. No, that's, that's exactly right. And I will say this as far as being optimistic about my country. I like that people were so fed up that they didn't want a conventional Republican and they chose Trump instead. On the left, do you think that most of those progressives, the principal people in their party, wanted Biden? No. They liked Bernie Sanders. They wanted somebody like that. So both sides are fed up with business as usual. And I think that's a healthy thing for America. Only a healthy if socialism loses. <laughs> right. Well, I don't want to Absolutely. Listen, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your work? And where I know you're on Twitter quite a lot. I'm at JackHunter74 on Twitter is my Twitter handle. You can read my column in the Washington Examiner. If you follow any of my social, because I write at other places, a Spectator USA, the American Conservative on occasion, you can find all my stuff if you just follow me on, on Twitter and Facebook. Absolutely. And he's also on YouTube, which we'll link to down below. Yes. Thank you so much for joining. Channel. Thank you. Absolutely. Listen, America, we finished the show we did today the way we do each and every week by talking to you about the sentiments of the TOEFL. You're not great because of Trump. You're not great because of Biden or the left or the right. America is great because Americans are good. I believe in your future. As you heard from Jack, he believes in your future. You are the solution. The idea of America is the solution. And together, working hard, working together hard, we will solve the problems because the idea is still strong. Your politics might be weak, but your idea is still strong. And we have the winning message. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. 